Hello everybody and welcome to today's podcast. Today we're very excited to have with us Nina Morenzi of the Future Fabrics Expo. Welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time to join us. I know you're in the final run-up to the show now at the end of June, so yeah. It's intense. (laughs) (laughs) Good description, yeah, definitely intense. Yeah, Yeah. exciting. We have... We have a number of questions for you today, and we really look forward to, to hearing more um, about your passion for sustainable textiles and the industry at large and how we can all make change. Really. Yes. So, Nina, could you give us an intro into the Future Fabrics Expo and why you founded the business? Um, it started with um, in 2010 when I was writing my dissertation on sustainable agriculture and rural development. Mm-hmm. And, and that was an MSc at Imperial College at the time. I think you can't even read that anymore today. It's, it doesn't mm-hmm. surprise me because it was very radical. Um, and um, anyway, and it was about uh, you had to write a dissertation. And I decided it should be about the fashion industry and the materials that they're using especially those that are grown in the soil. And so it was about organic cotton and why the fashion industry isn't using it more. And part of that was about looking what better alternatives are out there than mainly conventional cotton at the time. And it was very clear that there were a lot of alternatives, but they weren't really shown uh, to the designers. And there was a real lack of um, just a dedicated central sourcing showcase that um, promoted all of these great new materials that had a lower environmental impact. And so um, in 2011, uh, I then pulled together all the fantastic um, materials that I had researched and somehow knew quite a lot of um designers and creatives and and uh, with the help also of the London College of Fashion um, mm-hmm. they've given us a space for free and so we mounted the first one in 2011 and it was a success it was very small but it was really successful and so we grew from there and now we are uh, over 10 years later and uh, over 3,200 square meters and it has now over 10,000 textiles on display um, and so we had our 10th anniversary last year and uh, it's been a great journey since then. My colleague Amanda Johnston, who is curator, has been with me since the first expo. So it was it was exciting to see it come together. Um, and so yeah, it was essentially a frustration of not having had a place to source these materials and textiles uh, back in 2010. So it made sense to to mount it, especially in London, because London was always so much yeah. at the forefront. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's has every has progress accelerated? Have you had more visit, more interest, more visitors? Has the show grown? Was there a growth spurt? Do you think? And when would that have been? Yeah, I mean, I'd say every year was a steady growth. I mean, I remember in the beginning being in an academic. Um, uh, space at London College mm-hmm. of Fashion, but then very quickly grew out of that because these materials were commercially available. So yeah. then the the trade fairs, the conventional trade fairs, had no interest in it and thought it was a trend. So we then went to a manufacturing fair who gave us a space. Well, we had to pay for it, but at least there was. Yeah, we were in a commercial setting. Um, and then dawned on us that after three years, we were definitely the busiest space yeah. in that fair so we thought okay we'll just have to do it ourselves and we just really needed more space and so it grew and grew and the i'd say the the it's not just the amount of exhibitors that we have it's also that in the beginning there were the mills that did have a range of sustainable materials 
that was maybe five or 10% of their offering um, yeah. at most. And so we said to them, well, just send it to us and we curate it and showcase it. So you don't have to take a stand or, you know, mm-hmm. have the expense of sending a sales rep or whatever, um, because that was of, often an obstacle to them. That's why these materials weren't really shown. And so by doing that in this curated showcase, this is how we, we did it for the first five years. Exhibitors didn't have actually a stand. And when you look at it now, a lot of the exhibitors only exist um, because their entire um, selection, their entire materials collection is only because they have a lower environmental impact. That's the inter- that's the entire raison d'etre why they exist. So that's a huge difference. And then also, yeah. you know, the amount of fabrics that a, let's say, a traditional um, mill would show is now absolutely justifying for them to have an entire stand. Of course, they're not allowed to show their conventional fabrics. They're only allowed to show mm-hmm. um, the more responsibly produced uh, from sustainable fibers. And um, yeah, so we now have over 60 exhibitors. No, actually more, but 60 really big ones. So it's a, it's a really good number. So you can see how that's, that's a reflection of how the market has really changed. It's completely turned around, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, and then it's, also, yeah. we, you know, we added an innovation hub, which we didn't have in the first two or three years. Um, mm. That shows all emerging uh, young, mm-hmm. uh, but also established um, R&D companies who are just experimenting with new materials that are completely... How great is it, though, that they get, they get the voice, they get the platform? Mm. I can remember being fascinated many years ago five, six years ago by, you know, the beautiful white tables, all the Petri dishes of, you know, just looking (laughs) now at mycelium growing and cultures and, you know, inks that were pulled, pigments that are pulled from vegetables and all sorts of things. Um, You know, and they almost, you know, even just five or six years ago, you would think, oh, yeah. But as we we both know, you know, commercially viable and now in mass production. Yeah, yeah, in a no, very it's, short time frame. It is relatively short. No, it is very exciting. And at the same time, you know, you are still having this sort of um, weight to drag, which is just the mm. change of people's perception. Uh, that's a hard thing to do, convincing them, the customers, that this is same quality or even better quality than what they're yeah. used to. All of these things yeah. do take a long time. So even if the industry actually can get the act together quite quickly when it has to, um, I think on the other side, on the sort of demand side, there is still a bit of a lag. Yeah. It's yeah, to, changed to definitely in the last two or three years, but for a while yeah. that was that was a that was a bit of a problem. But we've yeah, overcome yeah. that I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's it's not the same scale, but there was an interesting conundrum really in the in the printing industry too. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were just 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 take something not fabrics, take wall coverings. You know, many years ago, you would have to buy thousands and thousands and thousands of meters to print digitally, but now, you know, fifteen years later, you can buy fifteen, twenty, twenty five meters. Everything is commercially available, whatever scale you need it. And I think we have to have that exactly that echoed into the fashion system too don't we so that young designers small emerging brands can buy fabrics in any meterage to to offer them to the wider marketplace mm-hmm. 100% yes. no no it's a huge change um so i think we should all um take comfort from that but at the same time not lose focus and just keep pushing for uh doing this speedier and and at a larger scale yeah, definitely, definitely. Nina, could you explain for our listeners then the key points and the environmental impact of the current fibre supply chain? Mm. 
Um, so we're trying to approach it always from the viewpoint of a designer and a creative. So mm-hmm. when they are um, sourcing for fabrics, they usually would encounter most of it being made from synthetics, or yeah. so that's from uh, petrochemicals or um, conventional cotton. And together, these two make up for about, so it's about 60% and a bit over for synthetics and, and over about 25% conventional cotton. Obviously, varies a bit year on year, but yeah. So that's a, that's a, you know, huge majority. And our starting point was always that, um, we have to take care of our soils. We need to make sure that the soils, um, uh, when you're looking at the science, um, it is the um, Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, that put out a huge warning uh, a few years ago to say we only have about 60 harvests left. Then we just run out of topsoil and, and fertile soil altogether. And so that means the food. But of course, a lot of the fashion fibers are also grown in soil. Yeah. So we have to be very careful not to exhaust the soil even further, but actually start to um move away and this is definitely a change from when we started in 2010 is we yeah. have to start to move further so not just trying to reduce our environmental impact we have to start or we have to start we should have started already and need to yeah. scale it and that speed is to restore the soil so for example with conventional cotton that grows in the soil and is very much reliant on uh, huge agricultural industrial systems which rely on synthetic fertilizer pesticides um, uh, and uh, on huge systems that are all grown in monocultures. And that is um, very damaging to biodiversity and soil fertility. Uh-huh. So we need to change how our fibers are grown in the soil and start using fibers that are actually beneficial to soil fertility. And um, so that's definitely one of our starting points when it comes to the impact Um soil and then the other is of course uh, the oceans so anything that is um, mainly from synthetic fibers there is the problem with microfiber pollution yeah so that is causing huge problem for our oceans and biodiversity is another um, huge uh, very fragile system which is suffering as we said you know with only 60 harvests left you can imagine what um, not what that many. means for biodiversity. And also, yeah. um, we know that we've lost more than 50% of our, um, of our biodiverse, of our species um, over the last about 50 years. So imagine how we, what we have done. So not for nothing, people call it the age of extinction. So to it counter is, all it, of that, it's a, it's a huge negative impact in a very short time, isn't it? It is. And it's, of course, not just fashion. Mass consumption, yeah. Sure, but it's, it's you know, what grows in the soil is food and fibre. So yeah. if you're looking at what type of fibres we're growing on fertile soil, uh, that's obviously one of the first things we need to address. So if we are using fibres that can only grow on fertile soil rather than on marginal land, that is an issue. So it's great to look at fibres that can grow on anything that is uh, less fertile for food growing because eventually there might be a competition or there will probably be a competition between what we grow on a soil for food and what we grow for anything else um, such as fibers for fashion yeah absolutely as the, the world's kind of the, the demographic of the world and the populations grow yeah we need yeah we need more soil for food don't we um, exactly and also treat that soil as you say in a, in a much better way so we're not being so intensive about everything mm. but also um and this is why we often say as a sort of a 
a light as a sort of a, a guidance uh, within the expo is to diversify the fiber basket. That was one of the first things we've always put out as a mm-hmm. sort of main message, a light motif, so to say, is uh, just think of it as a much wider basket of different fibers rather than, as we said at the start of this discussion, the over-reliance on virgin polyester, on synthetic fibers and conventionally grown cotton. There's so much more. And so that's very much what we're trying to advocate at the Future Fabrics Expo. Yeah, yeah. We would need to re-educate a whole generation, don't we? Mm. To look harder and to be more yeah, just to be more thoughtful of the, the actual final impact of the choices that are made at the product. Exactly. At, at that very first point when the product is created and designed. That's right. And we try to do that as easy as possible with the Future Fabrics X, but also as inspirational and exciting as possible. Hence also, you know, the Innovation Hub, which is there and is showing so many uh, new and exciting emerging fibres, but also re-surfacing um, perhaps fibres that people have forgotten about or, you know, yeah. had maybe the wrong connotation with it or forgotten how well you can blend, for example, uh, linen and hemp um, with cotton and, and all these yep. sort of things. So, yeah. That's yeah. a, that's it's a almost, focus. you know, you know, all the huge mills having a huge monopoly really on the supply chain, isn't it really? And, and allowing it to break it up a little bit with with new people and new ideas. Yeah, but also a lot of the, the very big mills are the ones that are very much experimenting and have, you know, have the uh-huh. the manpower and the the, the pockets to yes. start researching new things and, and experiment. And, and a lot of them are doing that. Um so that, that, yeah, there's always new new developments coming up with very much sustainability at the core. So there's lo- lots of things at, at the top end, but they'll all they'll water down and scale down, I guess, into the supply chain as we move forward. Mm, definitely. Great, that's good. You know, I think it'd be really helpful for you to just mention, you know, what are the main 2030 targets that we should all be aware of? There's a lot of noise out there, really, but it would be, be really nice just to pull it back to the ones that you think the primary ones that we should be mm. really, really, really careful of. Um, I think it's pretty much what we've just touched upon. I mean, yeah. mainly that our our whole industry needs to reduce emissions by about half uh, yeah. by 2030. So that does not leave a lot of time. And it really means we have to just address everything that we're using in the production um, and in the growing phase and um, try to reduce by half the emissions that come from it. I mean, that's that's just the reality of it. So, of course, that then means you have to hit absolutely everything that you can. And I'd say the industry does make great progress in um, looking at, for example, renewable energy uh, mm-hmm. for for the factory and how they are powered. But of course, you know, you see a lot of progress, but then also you look around and you see how often targets are then not followed. That's not just the fashion industry, that's just overall. Um, yeah. uh, you know, some of these are very ambitious targets and then they don't really get followed through, which is, of course, a huge problem. But um, so I'd say that overall, that is the main target. And that means for the industry, but also us as the um the public, we also need to make actually address our consumption and think, okay, well, if industry needs to half their emissions until 2030, what am I doing in my own home? Am I actually also doing that? <laughs> you know? Um, so those, I would say that's the overall one. And then of course, um, as I said at the start, reducing the emissions is one thing, but we need to start looking at how can we actually have a positive impact and absorb CO2 emissions, because it's not enough just to do less. We need to start thinking, what can we do to do positive things? So such as 
having, for example, fibers that absorb CO2 emissions in the growing mm-hmm. phase or regenerative agriculture, which is known to be um, having a lot of positive ex- effects on the climate. So these are the kind of things that we really need to um, urgently find out yeah. and actually apply in action. So we have to change all behaviors across the supply chain, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. But it, I mean, it's a com- we, we call it uh, the materials revolution because basically anything we have designed in the past needs to be redesigned with new materials or better materials, mm-hmm. with better production processes, creating little or no waste, ideally, and having a positive impact. Otherwise, we're just not going to hit that 2030 target, quite simply. No, we're not. We're not going to have the choice. We're not going to be able to make. We're not going to be able to make the right choices because the availability isn't going to be there, is it? Mm, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. Gosh, so much to do and so so little time, really. Um, one of the one of the the things that I read about that sounds great coming up at the Future Fabric Expo is your innovation hub. Yeah. Could you tell us? Could you tell us a little bit more about that and what visitors could expect to see? Yeah. So it really is there to show the future. But I think one thing we need to understand is the future shouldn't be 2050. The the future really is now. The future is 2030, so to say. So a lot of these um, new innovations that we're showing in the Innovation Hub are really um, groundbreaking, pioneering, completely new uh, processes. uh, And the reason why we showed it is to show that there is... There are so many solutions out there that just really need to be scaled and funded. Um, but at the same time, what we don't want it to be is that people think, oh, yes, you know, this is all the future and we don't really need to take action right now because it's not commercially available yet. This is why the Innovation Hub is sitting at the middle, but really surrounded and embedded by all of these commercially available materials that do exist now. So sometimes it feels a bit as if there is an excuse to say, okay, these are all fantastic materials based on mycelium and algae and um, made from... um, uh, microorganisms waste, that potatoes, hardly in the end of course that agricultural things, waste yeah. of course yeah but uh, the realization does need to be that there is um you know it it doesn't take that long to actually implement and action these innovations but also there is so much already out there that can be uh used so uh, i mean you're talking about waste and about um Agriculture waste, that is one of the main things that we've been pushing the last year, but also this year. And that's supported by the loudest foundation, sort of the next gen solutions, which very much looks at agricultural waste, uh, mm-hmm. residues from the food industry, rice husks, or wheat straw, and how can you make that into materials used uh, for fibers for fashion, but also for packaging, etc. So, um, that there's a lot in there, a lot of potential, not just to reduce the impact, but really have a positive impact. So it's it's a very exciting uh, area in the expo. Um, and I think it's, as you were saying, the things that are presented in the petri dish, et cetera, is automatically what people are attracted to. Uh, also, of course, biomimicry, you know, things that we look at nature, how nature has done uh, um certain uh or obviously everything that we're doing is is should be inspired by nature and we should follow that um typically when it comes to waste you know we shouldn't create anything that results in a waste product never because that's not what nature does and it's the same thing with the materials there should always be an end of use phase that needs to be taken into account 
at the very beginning of the design process or of a new material. What happens with that exciting new material that somebody's invented? But what happens with it at the end of the user phase? Now we know how crucial that is. So anything there either needs to go back into nature and not polluting the soil, but actually fertilizes the soil ideally, or if it's a synthetic, um, first of all, does it come from a recycled synthetic perhaps, ideally, which can then result on the same quality level into a new synthetic fiber. But um, that often has still uh, the recycled synthetics uh, is only a transition. We really need to start working with materials that do not have a negative impact at the starting point. It's interesting, Nina, isn't it? Because in such a fast-paced world, we often make choices in our daily lives that we don't necessarily want to make, but that's that's the only option to do something at speed, really. And it kind of, I don't know, I've been feeling this for a while. We, we almost, we need to slow down the origination origination process for products, don't we? So that you, mm-hmm. so that the designers out there have time to factor in all of the things that you've just been saying, because to do that at speed in a new supply chain with new, um, it's very hard. It, it is. And I think, and this is why it is so important for companies to have to really start um, if they haven't yet, because it takes time to build a new supply chain and to have, yeah. you know, perhaps experiment with your old partners. We're not saying everyone needs to just drop their old ones. Absolutely not. This is a very much a collaborative um, process. So, uh, but it takes time. And, and we just have these partnerships don't just come out of nothing. They need to be long term. Um, supply mm. chain needs to be able to rely on the brands to really be there for a few years, not just for one season. And that's yeah. still very often a, a problem. That's what we've seen also in the pandemic. Um, it's just not really done enough. So I think that is one of the main things that need to really be actioned. That it does not need to reinvent anything. It's just for long-term partnerships, which then enable a sort of environment where you can um, really do research and develop new materials, yeah. knowing that there is somebody on your side as a partner. You must have put quite a lot of matchmaking together there then. I think over the years, you must have put a lot of people together. We to have actually, that. yes, we yeah. have, but we often don't even know about it. That's the frustrating thing. We hear about oh. it perhaps a year or two later. Um, yeah. It's very difficult to capture what actually uh, happens at the expo in those cross fertilization between exhibitors and other exhibitors together, which, uh-huh. you know, they happen to be showing next to each other and they all perhaps meet at the innovation hub and they say, oh, you know, we've met, we're doing this, you're doing that, you know, and then they get together. Um, and then two years later, there's a new product, perhaps with a backing of one of the, you know, mills and the exhibitor stands with an innovator who had who needed somebody to make a, yeah. a low impact backing um, for their new materials so yes but also of course we have a lot of brands who uh, don't tell us immediately just because they obviously have to do the testing and quality control mm-hmm. and it takes mm-hmm. takes a while um, but then we find out later which is always a, a really happy um, moment for us as a team but yeah we, we know of a lot of interesting uh, matchmaking so to say absolutely yeah, it's great it's great and one of the things we're talking off air about actually is that all of your everybody that's exhibiting there is also certified is that correct almost all of them there are some actually that don't have a certification standard yet just because it is too new um Mm -hmm. but yeah most of them are and that is of course because that's very much what the brands and the industry demands and of course that has problems but it is 
at the moment the best um, possibility. There are some um, companies and producers that really have a completely vertical supply chain where they're in control mm -hmm. of everything and they completely open their books. If you want to see them, they have been certified as such um, or verified their books, but you can really go and, and um, go and see for yourself. That's a, a small minority, but um, there's definitely some that have opted for that, some of the suppliers. Um, especially when it comes to those who really own the farms, um, yeah. farming in a certain way, and then actually also produce the fabric in a very small radius. Um, it's very local production. So that think, that is definitely also something that um, does exist. I think it's amazing, Nina, what, what you've pulled together. You know, you really have given a, opened a window Thank you. <laughs> into a whole world that, that most people just, you know, just the facts and just diving deep into all of that, really. We all need to be much more aware of, of, of the components of the choices that we make. And the only sure. way to do that is by sharing knowledge. Really. Yeah, indeed. And also to be clear that there is just still so much uh, to go. It really isn't perfect. Yeah. And we see that every day there are problems, there are things to overcome, and we just have to be open about it and transparent and just uh, tackle it head on. But it's um, it shouldn't be an excuse not to move forward and, and to make improvements wherever possible. No, it has to be positive change, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Just a, just a couple more points then, really, I guess. Um, who would you say are the change makers in the industry? Is it, is it, do you think the change makers, if we, we kind of spoke about, touched on this before, that some of the big mills are doing the massive investment. Do you think they are the change makers? Do you think they're at both ends? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's that's been very clear. Um, it's the exhibit from our own little landscape or own little yeah. world. Um, it is definitely from both sides. So it's the visitors who are the curious ones, who are the creative brains, who then actually action the products and, and put these incredible new materials into the products. Um, as much as, of course, the supply side, which creates these and new materials or improved materials or uh, yeah. low impact materials responsibly made. So it clearly needs both, but it also needs the, um, the media with it uh, to give it a voice. It needs the, the customer who then buys the product before uh, making a purchase who, you know, invest the time to find out about the material. Is this better? Do I need this? Mm -hmm. um, you know, is there upcycled products that are perhaps just as good as buying a new thing first? Um, so when you walk into the expo, you always find a, a triangle, which we also have at the, on our social media, et cetera, which shows the sort of hierarchy or the hierarchy. So first, you know, you look into your own wardrobe, you mend, you repair, uh, you do the whole secondhand resale, all of that. And as you move up, you then, um, if you do need to replace something, you do need something new because there is no other way you know, make sure you're buying it from a company that you know about, that you have researched a bit, you know, their sustainability um, strategy and, and reports, um, and you know about the material that is used and how it was made. But, you know, it sounds quite a bit onerous, but actually it is fascinating and so interesting to do that research and just to be a little bit you know, more curious and holding them to account and say, okay, well, you're saying this, but, you know, go to the shop assistant and ask. It's, yes. it's really fabulous how many brands have done training for their uh, shop assistants to know about. So it's lovely to have these conversations and they're proud to say, oh, this is actually, you know, from whatever, X, Y, Z. We do not use any more plastic in the yeah. wrapping and we do not use any more um, 
let's say in the lining, we only use recycled uh, materials um, or we don't use any more synthetics whatsoever. We have replaced that. Um, we're using more local wool or, you know, this is from a special cooperative that the brand has now supported uh, in India and has a whole new supply chain established, etc. So people know now a bit. So it's just lovely to have these conversations and show an interest. That's great. Let's keep that conversation going. Dina, mm. thank you so much for joining us today. Our last question thank was, you, how can listeners make an, make an impact for positive change? And I think all of those steps that you've just spoken <laughs> about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'll we'll take we'll walk us all um, to the place where we need to get to really. Absolutely. Um, however, however short or long our steps are, really, as you touched on before, whether we are a you know a huge conglomerate or an independent, we can all make change for um, sure. So, thank you, know. you so much, Debbie. Thank you so much for for everything that you've pulled together over the last, I guess, eleven years now. Um, and I look forward to seeing you in a, in a few weeks' time. Thank you very much, Debbie. Looking forward to seeing you there. Okay.